Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. God gave me a Ferrari because I am a Ferrari. You're a Ferrari too. When God made you, he had all the options put on. You are fully loaded and totally equipped. So do this with me. Where did we ever come up with the style of preaching we have today? There is some entertaining preaching, but not convicting preaching, and the legacy has been tragic. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. If you want light and bright You might want to listen to a Paul Washer sermon. This is Wretched Radio. You say, wait a second, a Paul Washer sermon? Usually the opposite of light and bright. It's deep and heavy and hard. Well, Paul ain't got nothing on us today because we are going to do a deep dive into a subject where we must tread very carefully. But I think we go there necessarily because the world keeps making accusations against God. And perhaps you've pondered this yourself. Frankly, we Christians should be pondering this. We should not see world events, the evil, the wickedness, the pain, the suffering, and just yawn. Instead, we can and should ask the question, how do I harmonize so much evil in the world with the existence of a good God? How do I explain eternal conscious torment to the world and perhaps to myself when God is filled with loving kindness and grace and mercy? Let's dive in deep, recognizing that sometimes we can go too deep. There are some subjects regarding the character and the nature of God. I think we should at some point say, you know, this has gotten beyond us. And we're just not going to push this any further because it's just getting more entangled. It's getting more fine in definitions, and it's not all that edifying. And I actually think sometimes arriving at that destination is a very worthwhile trip because it forces us to exercise a lot of biblical wisdom, but it also reminds us we can't understand the mind of God, not completely. You can't understand the character and the nature of God. Not completely. You cannot understand the Trinity. Not completely. And that is a good thing because if we could get everything, that would mean we're God. We have the same knowledge. We are as big as he is and we're not. So let's dive in deep, hopefully not too deep, as we tackle the subject of reprobation, courtesy of Dr. Peter Sammons from the Master's Seminary. This book was sent to me. I don't know who did, but wow, is it a deep dive into the doctrine of sovereignty and eternal conscious torment. How do we how do we understand how God does this? How does God use sin sinlessly? Because he does. There's sin in the world. We know that God ordains everything. And yet we know that he can't be responsible for sin and evil because of his character and nature which is where we are going to begin with understanding why evil exists and how God uses it for his glory, our good, without sinning. Let's establish some definitions that everything that exists, God decrees. Everything that happens is because God has declared that's going down. God is sovereign over everything. Furthermore, he's omnipotent. 
God has infinite, eternal, and unchangeable power. By that we mean he is able to do all that is not contrary to his nature. That's kind of crucial, isn't it? And that also reminds us that God can't do nonsensical things like make a square circle, make a boulder too heavy, can't push it up a hill. God can do everything that is logical. (laughs) And God does everything that he desires. And that's where we run into the snag. Hey, that means God's doing evil. Hey, no, it doesn't. And Peter Sammons makes the case quite admirably. Thomas Goodwin, he was a dead guy, explains that while God is omnipotent, yet he is not omnivalent, willing to do things. Thought, he can do all things of infinitely more than he hath done. Yet he doth, you can tell he's a Puritan, not will do all things that he is able, for his power is limited by his will. That shouldn't scare us. He's still omnipotent. Because of his character and his nature, he simply cannot violate himself and do evil things. God is never hindered by any external force in the exercise of his power. There is no personal being like Satan, impersonal law like the principle of free will or force like evil that is able to challenge or frustrate God's efforts. What God wills, he does. And because his power is infinite, he never gets tired or exhausts his power when he uses it. (laughs) Go ahead. Noodle on that for a while and you're going to find yourself going, (laughs) wait, there's so much energy that is being expended in the universe. We, we see the law of entropy. Everything runs out. Not God. Was just reading about a black hole that is 70 million times larger than the sun. <laughs> He's big. His, this is nothing. Running this universe for him is just, it's nothing. If the universe is big, he's bigger still. If the universe has power, he's more powerful still. The sun so much energy, and the sun would run out of gas. Please note that, my old earth friend. By this time, it would have pooped out. We'd be freezing. We'd be dead. But it continues to burn because we're not as old as some people suggest we are. But even though the sun, oh, I'm so sorry for this. Even though the S-U-N runs out, yeah, I'm going to, Jimmy. The S-O-N never does. (laughs) Because God does not get exhausted. He is also immutable. He doesn't change. God's power neither waxes nor wanes. Because God is holy and righteous, his power is never used to do evil. Because God is all wise, his power is never used foolishly. Because God is self-sufficient, his power depends only on himself and never on external supplies. Because God is sovereign, the exercise of his power can never be resisted. Oh, the joy of theology. I was just... (laughs) Somebody just sent me a video. The church service. Very famous preacher. I'm I'm, I'm not going to mention that it was Andy Stanley. Opening up with Led Zeppelin for the Sunday morning worship. Because, quote, they have to let the band get it out of their system on occasion. It was a yuck fest. Everybody hooped and hollered and they clapped with their hands over their heads and everybody laughed. (sighs) Our God does not desire to be worshipped by a rock and roll song from an 80s band 
that was anti-God in their worldview. God is big, and churches that don't teach theology are robbing their people of joy. And isn't it ironic? Because these churches purport to be centers where, hey, we're going to make your life better. You're going to be happier. You're going to do things righter and have more success. And they rob them of the very means that God has provided to arrive at that destination, and that is knowledge of him. And so what you just heard were huge theological categories. The immutability of God, the omniscience of God, that, that God is righteous. He's all-wise, all-powerful, all-sufficient. He doesn't depend on anything. The aseity of God. He doesn't need nothing. That is who God is. And yet we've got to figure out if he's all that, and if he's that in control of everything, well, then how do we harmonize evil in the world? Let's continue getting our definitions down. Can we say that God can do anything? No. God's omnipotence is always exercised in ways that are consistent with his essence. His power is never at odds with his holiness, faithfulness, wisdom, immutability, or any other attribute. Now, another theological category would be providence. This is a word we should absolutely carry around in our apologetical holster because unbelievers are going to ask, hey, what about these terrible things? Where's God and all of that? Everything is done through God's providence. Is the teaching that God is involved in everything that happens on earth. He upholds all things. His providence is exercised in such a way that nothing happens without his involvement. Now, that does not mean God forces everything that happens. There's a hint for us. Thereby violating natural law or the will of creatures or exercising some universal meticulous dominion where the properties of creation are upended. All that to say, you're, you're doing evil. It's on you. You're sinning. It's you. And yet God is ordaining everything and his providential will orders everything, and yet he doesn't cause everything. Now, you might find yourself shorting out at that point, and I understand, and that's, a, that's not a bad thing. Don't panic over that. It's a good thing. I think all of us get to a certain point where it's like, <laughs> I can't do no more. I can't understand this. And that's okay because we can't fully understand God, and yet the Bible gives us enough to piece together all of these theologies so that we can defend the assaults on God when the world says, what about all of the bad things? Dr. Peter Salmon's reprobation and God's sovereignty is going to help us understand next how he does this without being guilty of sinning himself. This is Wretched Radio. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare Affordable Biblical Health Sharing has a 98% approval rating. 
400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in and joining us today at Wretched Radio. We certainly appreciate you and appreciate the time that you spend listening to the program. What's something that you think about from time to time, but you know it's something you really shouldn't say out loud? Well, I'll go ahead and say what I know most of you are thinking, and that's that most Bible studies are pretty boring. It's true, and you know it is, but listen, there is a solution to that enigma. It's getting yourself a wretched Bible study and finding that you can dig into God's Word and not feel guilty for feeling bored. The Wretched Bible Study curriculum is derived from our resources, Drive by Marriage, Drive by Parenting, Drive by Theology, Jesus Unmasked, and Stressed Out. And I know you're thinking, yeah, well, Jimmy, you're biased. Well, maybe that's true, but listen, don't just take my word for it. Try one of our Wretched Bible Studies out for yourself by visiting wretched.org slash study. That's wretched.org slash study. Wretched. Amazing grace amazing gospel permit me to introduce you to brie and salvation dominoes pre-born style when one person gets saved they have that burning desire to just make him known the same way that was made known to them and then it's just this domino effect brie currently volunteers at a pre-born life center how did she get saved from a friend whose mother got saved at you guessed it a preborn life center. Why? Because preborn, it is indeed about saving babies' lives via $28 ultrasounds, but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved. And look at the domino effect. Would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can? $28. For an ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life. Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 1906. The Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, California, launches Pentecostalism and paves the way for the development of the modern charismatic movement. Pentecostalism is marked by a focus on supernatural gifts such as healing and speaking in tongues. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Shameful and unbecoming? This is Wretched Radio, reprobation and the sovereignty of God. Studying these big ideas helps us to harmonize the way that God presents himself in the Bible in light of the accusation that God must be evil because evil exists. Wrong, wrong, and wrong, as we have established courtesy of Dr. Peter Sammons in his book, Reprobation and God's Sovereignty. God ordains everything, but he doesn't cause everything. He doesn't cause anybody to sin. He doesn't cause wicked dictators to do horrific things to the masses. And yet he ordains it. God uses sin sinlessly. Let's see if we can figure out how he does that by studying the subject of causality. We've got to dive in deep into this. 
How does God cause things? So we can safely say that God is causing. Now, just be patient with me on this. We can say that God is causing evil, but he's not doing the evil. And there is a part of causality that releases him from the assault that he is evil because he, quote, causes evil. Now, I know that maybe sounded provocative, and believe me, I get that. But let us understand that there are different levels of causality. There's a primary level. That would be God. But there are secondary causes. In this instance, it would be us. And as we go about the business of causing evil, even though that God in a primary sense has caused evil, we have secondarily caused the evil and we're the ones responsible for it because we did it. God doesn't make you do evil. That's where we where we get a lot of help because we hear God causes evil. Then therefore he does the evil. No, 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 no. God causes it, but there are secondary causes, human beings, and therefore God is not guilty of doing those things because he has not made people do them. And yet he's created all of the circumstances and all of the ability for people to do those things without actually being responsible for their evil behavior. Let's dive into that, shall we? Ezekiel 14, 9. That's right, the Old Testament. If the prophet is persuaded so that he speaks a word, it is I, the Lord, who have persuaded that prophet. We got to dive into that because there are a lot of people who would try to wrangle that away because that indicates that God is, wait a second. So when I say something, the Lord made me say it? No, no. The Lord caused it without causing you. He causes everything. But you also cause stuff. And when it's bad, it's on you. Seemingly difficult passages like this. Some people doubt, distort, downplay, or outright deny when it plainly said what it plainly says. Frankly, such response to scripture is shameful and unbecoming of any Christian. <laughs> Wowza. We must instead give God's word the serious consideration it deserves. In this case, the apparent predicament is obvious. How can God be said to persuade a false prophet to lie to someone when passages like James 1.13 says God cannot tempt anyone? And Numbers 23.19 says God cannot lie. In light of God's holiness, to what extent is his involvement with sin. Let's dive into our categories of causation. There are three. Ultimate cause. The ultimate cause of every action that occurs in the world is God, who providentially, there's our word, governs all actions for his purposes. Two, there's a proximate cause. The proximate cause of an action is the agent, human or otherwise, who influences, directs, or enables an, effect, an, an action. So God, we know clearly from the Bible, is in control of everything. Ephesians 1.11, Romans 11.36. But you have these individuals who also do things. The proximate cause. And then, thirdly, you have the efficient cause. The efficient cause of an action is the great human or otherwise 
or the agent, human or otherwise, who directly carries out the action. So there's a slight distinction between two and three. The proximate cause is the agent who influences, directs, or enables an action. Efficient cause is the one who actually does it. That's that's a worthy distinction, and you'll see why in just a bit. Scripture indicates that sin does not occur outside of the ordained plan of God, who is the ultimate cause. There's our word. He's the ultimate cause. That's one of our categories and responsible for all things. But since scripture says that both concurrent realities are true, that God ordained sin while remaining holy and unchangeable for sin, the need for theological categories of causation is established. Let's dive into an Old Testament verse. Aren't you glad we haven't unhitched it? First Kings 22, we see God using false prophets to lie to King Ahab. Ahab was another case of someone who preferred lying to telling the truth and wanted to try to leverage God for personal gain. After patiently enduring years of Ahab's evil, God was determined to bring about his downfall. Thus, the passage states that when Ahab sought prophetic counsel to determine whether or not he should go into battle, his 400 false prophets assured him of victory. What Ahab didn't know at the time, however, was that God had enticed these false prophets to lie to him. Look, that's hard. Look, that, 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 we have to acknowledge. Whew, that's hard. 400 liars? And God was behind it without being responsible for it. Exactly. That is the categorization of causation. We understand there's different categories. How did God do this? By enlisting the help of demons. Zoinks, Scoob. So now he's using, well, what would the demons be? Did the demons do the lying? No. They'd be the proximate cause, the one who enable or influence. But the efficient cause were the false prophets themselves. That is causation. And that means that God is not culpable for the wicked actions of demons or sinful human beings. He's the ultimate but he is not the proximate or the efficient cause of evil. Does that go down with you? Does that maybe help you? It should, because we see this over and over again in the Bible, that God uses sin sinlessly. Now, Peter Sammons, in his book titled Reprobation and God's Sovereignty, lists four causalities the way that God does this. So how, okay, so how does God do this without being guilty of this? Number one, there's the causality of divine abandonment. God just goes, I'm done. He withholds grace from people. And then terrible things happen. They're responsible. He isn't. There will be an unstated hardening of hearts. There will be a self-hardening of hearts. Remember Pharaoh self-hardening his heart, doing evil? God wasn't responsible, but he ordained it. There's evil people, the causality of personal agency. These are people who do their will instead of God's. There is the causality of evil spirits. There is the causality of general means. Here's the definition of that. When scripture states a general means 
or it cannot simply be defined as any time God speaks about the execution of the decree or reprobation upon the non-elect without stating a direct agent involved. So there's just some stuff that the Bible just doesn't tell us what the proximate or efficient cause was. There is also the causality of non-personal agency. What in the world is that? Lying. It, it, it's, it's not telling the truth. Those are all of the ways that God ordains everything, operates the universe, but is not connected to the sin and the evil that people commit. He is guiltless in all of it, ordaining everything because that is how he operates the planet so that we can uphold the doctrine of sovereignty on the one hand and the doctrine of goodness of God on the other hand to come up with a theodicy to how to explain evil with a good God. Remember causality and categories of causality. God's the ultimate. There are proximate demons, lies, untruths, hardenings. And then there's the actual agent, the efficient agent that carries it out. And when that agent carries it out, even though God is the ultimate cause, he is not the one who causes it to happen in the sense that he's responsible for it. The agent who carries it out is. Was that a perfect presentation? I doubt it. It was intended to help us think through a deep issue, love our God more, and be able to defend the accusation that God must be evil because evil exists. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. And Clown mentioned not having people use clown or clown self pronouns for clown. Yeah, that's real, folks. There are now apparently clown and clown self pronouns, and we're all expected to use them, I guess. And that's in addition to the 73,000 some odd others that seem to pop up every day. But, you know, I think I'll cut them some slack on this one because you got to be honest. Anyone wanting to be called a clown truly is a clown. And so we should probably honor that request. Well, SCOTUS announced last Friday that it intends to hear the case of Joe Kennedy, the high school football coach from Seattle, that got canned a few years ago by the school district for praying midfield after games. It all started in 2015, and then Kennedy filed suit against the school board in 2016, and he's been ruled against twice now, with SCOTUS previously declining to hear the case in 2019. But now the Supreme Court has announced intentions to hear the case as they've stated concerns with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals' understanding of free speech rights for educators. Well, here's news that should cause a little terror in your heart, or at the very least, a significant amount of concern. First semester students at Penn State University enrolled in political science have been given the assignment of writing about how the Taliban is not a terrorist organization. The instructions for the assignment state the students are not allowed to answer the question any other way, and any attempts to avoid answering the prompt exactly how it's been written will result in a failing grade. And this is what we deem higher education in America. More like zero education and full-blown indoctrination. 
Recently, pro-life advocates in California won in federal court when a judge agreed to block a state law that restricts free speech outside of facilities that murder babies. Though the ruling was just temporary as the lawsuit continues, Life Legal Defense Foundation say they believe their clients will win the case overturning the law that was signed by Governor Gavin Newsom last October. The law says that pro-life advocates must stay 30 feet from baby murder facilities or face jail time and fines. Apparently, Governor Newsom believes that trying to counsel women out of murdering their babies is a bad thing. And unfortunately, in a storyline that seems to be ever increasing, another 14-year-old Christian girl has been abducted and forced to convert to Islam and marry her Muslim captor in Pakistan. Police have reportedly been slow to act in the matter as the marriage certificate provided by the kidnapper says the girl is 19, though her parents claim otherwise. But I guess it's common practice in Pakistan to believe the kidnapper over a girl's parents. That makes total sense, right? As we tell you daily here at Wretched, please make sure that you are praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible The book of James is much like Proverbs for the New Testament, employing a concise and memorable style with a simple yet profound message. Christians should think and act like Christians. It is very easy to understand, but exceptionally difficult to obey. This ought to lead us to repentance and a fresh reliance upon the grace of God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hey, that wasn't a terrible whistle for me. Friel, it was a terrible whistle. It wasn't for me. This is Wretched Radio. So, Jimmy. <laughs> Don't bring me into this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm, I'm not claiming that I just presented that perfectly. And if I did it wrong to Peter Sammons, I say, I'm sorry. <laughs> but reading his book, Reprobation and God's Sovereignty, I found to be helpful because it explains how God operates the world. And maybe you think, wait a second, there isn't a verse that exactly tells us that. No, there really isn't an exact verse. But when we read all of Scripture, you remember the Protestant approach of the analogy of Scripture. You read the whole thing, then you can draw some conclusions about how God operates the planet, specifically evil. And we need to wrestle with it. We we need to understand it. And we need to be able to defend the accusation. Jimmy, I have a suspicion because you've already told me so. (laughs) You don't agree with everything I just said. Well, it's not that I don't agree. It's Oh, don't be dull, squishy (laughs) and diplomatic. No, I don't understand. Uh, There's so much about this subject that I have wrestled with in the past. And, um, man, we can go a lot of different places with it, but it's just mind boggling when you come down to trying to understand God's sovereignty, the fact that he controls everything, the fact that he created everything, that he holds everything together, then how can we say that there are things God cannot do? Ah, so the limitations of God's power. Yeah. I mean, I understand that he will not act outside of his mm-hmm. nature and god is good he won't act outside yeah. of his nature but how can we say there are things that he can't all right do? then let me let me ask you a question Uh-oh. this get ready because this 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 one is a little bit tricky could jesus have sinned no absolutely all not. right then then you've just answered the first question couldn't 
Jesus couldn't do it. And yet he was tempted just like we're, but he couldn't do it. But he didn't. Okay. I'm, couldn't. I'm, we, okay. Couldn't. No, he couldn't because he wasn't born with his sin nature. Well, true. And neither is God, obviously. He's neither born nor does he have a sin nature. Right, right. And so just as Jesus couldn't sin, God can't sin. Doesn't limit his sovereignty or his omnipotence. It means that it's simply defined based on his character and his nature. That, so that, that's how I sort this. I start with God in the center of it. What is he like? How does he behave? How does he present himself in the Bible? And it is, well, just think about Isaiah chapter six. You've got angels surrounding the throne. What are they saying? Holy, holy, holy. Now, can a holy God possibly sin? No, not if he's perfectly holy. He, he couldn't possibly sin. He can't because his nature puts the brakes on it. And the same thing is true with Jesus. While he was tempted in every way, we have a sympathetic high priest. Even so, Jesus could not sin. And you might add that, well, even if he wanted to, but that's the point. He didn't want to <laughs> because he hates it. That's another theme we see in the Bible, God's hatred for sin. Furthermore, we do not see a God who delights in bad things happening to his people. When the Jews were scattered to Assyria, to Babylon, was God, <laughs> got him. That's going to teach him. No, he doesn't delight in it. Is it Psalm 137, I believe, where you hear the lament of the children of Israel in exile? <laughs> they want us to sing uh, some happy song. Yet all we want to sing is a dirge because we're not near Jerusalem. We're not near the place where God dwells. We are not in the, in the holy city. We're miserable. God wasn't thrilled with that. Did God cause the evil behavior of the Assyrians and the Babylonians? Well, this brings us back to the understanding of categories of causation. In one sense, he caused it in that he's running everything but he doesn't cause it in that he doesn't influence it or he doesn't do it. Hence, you've got ultimate cause, proximate cause, and efficient cause. And those three categories, I think, will guide us. Now, this is a lot. This is, this is, this is a pretty, pretty heady conversation. How do we bring this down to the streets? Most likely, in most instances, to share the three levels of causation, probably not going to happen. Now, I actually could imagine it out on a university campus. But if we kind of, we've got to muscle through this. Is an unbeliever going to go, oh, I get it. <laughs> probably not. And therefore, I think responding with the simple phrase to the accusation that evil exists, God is good, therefore, God doesn't exist or God isn't good because evil exists. You simply say God uses sin sinlessly. That's it. That explains everything that we just discussed. Will the individual swallow that? Probably not, but they won't swallow three different forms of causation either. But it gives a clear and thorough response without getting into the weeds and not going to the place where the conversation turns into a complete distraction from the importance of their individual responsibility for their evil. 
Here's an illustration that maybe helps us with this. You have children. You knew they weren't going to be perfect. Yet you had them and they sin. Are you responsible? No, no, you're not. What, what if, what if, now this isn't perfect either. You got to watch out for these little illustrations because they get really tricky and I recognize there's holes in them. So forgive me in advance if you find a big one. You make a chocolate cake, a really good one like Mrs. Friel does. It is moist. And in the, even in both the cake and in the frosting, you know what the secret ingredient is, Jimmy? What's that? Coffee. Really? Yeah. Coffee grounds. Oh. oh, interesting, man. I think she got it from Ida Gerton and and she makes this on a cake. It's like a special event when this cake happens It is moist. It's delicious. She tells everybody in the home, don't eat this cake till I say so. She leaves it sitting on the kitchen counter. Along comes our son <laughs> and takes a slice. Runs his just runs his finger a little bit around the bottom, thinking they'll never see the little fingerprint that I'm leaving behind and licks the frosting. Is Mrs. Friel responsible for his actions? No. Now, some would say, but she she shouldn't have left the cake out on the counter. Well, that was up to her because it's her cake and it's her counter and she can do what she wants. So she didn't do anything sinful, but it led to the sinning of another. And she is not culpable. She's guilt-free. And so is God. God sets everything up. He created the planet. He created a garden. He put the trees. He put the river. He put the people at at his good pleasure. None of it was sinful. But he knew they were going to sin. And they did. And therefore, he's not responsible. That is how God operates the world. And Jimmy, I get your concern about, boy, the... God not able to sin, it makes it sound like it compromises his sovereignty. Well, it does, but it's also at the end when you just get so frustrated because you can't come up with a clear answer, at least for me. I mean, I I just come to the conclusion that uh, we're trying to use our finite minds to understand something that we're never really going to be able to fully understand. No, that's that. Look, that is true. Yeah. But I think that right. That's that's why I said I think there needs to be some guardrails on this. And there ultimately needs to be a do not trespass sign put up, because I, I think that we can get so far into this that we turn things that are perhaps sanctified speculation into essentials. And that's where we can get in trouble. So, for instance, the Athanasian Creed, this is it goes far deeper into the character and the nature of God than the Nicene or the Apostles Creed. I dig it. I dig everything about it because it lays it out. The father is not the son. The son is not the father. The son is not the spirit. The spirit is not the father. Three distinct persons. And it just over and over. And yet one God. And if you don't believe this, you're in trouble. So that would be considered essential. If you understand causation differently or how God, without revealing it specifically, operates the universe, I wouldn't make that an essential. But it it can be something that we explore with limits. Jimmy, I don't know if you realize this, but even as you were saying that we human beings, our finite minds can't grasp this, you had your 
you had your hands up and your forehead like you were rubbing away a migraine. Uh, yeah, uh, I was trying to stop the smoke from coming out of my ears. <laughs> uh, oh, you're that mad at me, are you? No, I'm not mad. It's just... Is God to blame for your being mad at me? Uh, yes, he caused every bit of it. <laughs> well, <laughs> define cause. God put you there. Let's say that Jimmy is sinning in his heart. Did, did God make him do that? No. Did God ordain it? Yeah. Simple as that. And when your brain gets to the point where it shorts out, leave it there. <laughs> Just walk away from the table and say, it is good that I cannot understand everything about God. But, oh, what a joyous exercise to try to understand to the limited ability we can the mind of God because it's good for us. And it helps us to know our God and love our God more. This is Wretched Radio. It's New Year's resolution time. But before you make yours, I have a different type of challenge for you. How about instead of resolving to be a better person this year, you instead commit to leaving a legacy for Christ. And one surefire way you can do just that is by becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner. Currently, Wretched Radio and TV is seen and heard on nearly 1,000 stations combined worldwide. The second season of Road Trip to Truth has just been released with season Season 3 in production, solving the God puzzle on its way to 1 million copies distributed and transformed our latest TV series highlighting biblical counseling is set to debut later this year. We're striving to reach people all over the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and we're only able to do that with the support of our gospel partners. So would you prayerfully consider joining us? Just log on to wretched.org slash donate to get all of the details. Wretched.org slash donate. Hey, Tomorrow Club supporter, this message from Paul Marty, the director of the Tomorrow Clubs, is just for you. You know, it's been more than 25 years now since my wife Cindy first brought leaders and kids together for the very first Tomorrow Club. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been touched. We're grateful for all the ways you help kids in forsaken places learn to follow Jesus. Thank you for your support of the Tomorrow Clubs. $30 a month, Disciples 30 Kids in Eastern Europe and now in Africa, where Tomorrow Clubs anticipates they could be opening up 100 new clubs in a year. Would you please consider becoming a Tomorrow Club supporter? Kids clubs that meet in forsaken places, they get loved on, they hear the gospel, they memorize Bible verses, and they're getting saved. To support your own Tomorrow Club, please visit tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Well, are you ready for another road trip? Of course you are. Just grab your luggage and let's load up. Okay, not really. You don't need to bring anything but maybe a pen and notebook for our next Road Trip to Truth Season 2 because it's here and it's available now at roadtriptotruth.org. And I know you're asking, how are you guys able to improve on the first season? Well, we have all new experts and new lessons that powerfully counter all of the continuous assaults on Christianity. Those assaults unfortunately wind up sidelining many youth and adults, and so we're diving into topics like the gospel, environmentalism, abortion, pornography, agnosticism, 
13 total lessons, as a matter of fact, with new experts like Pastor Milton Vincent, Dr. Greg Gifford, Dr. John Street, Scott Klusendorf, Jess Arns, and more. Road Trip to Truth Season 2. It's on sale right now. And don't forget about the study guide. It's available as well. RoadTripToTruth.org or Wretched.org slash RoadTrip. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called the Seed of the Woman. Immediately after the fall of man, God promised a Savior who would be the offspring of the woman. Jesus was born of a virgin, a divine Savior born of the Seed of Woman. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Let's just see if this will help because it always does. This is Wretched Radio, a reprobation in God's sovereignty. Gulp, recovering a biblical doctrine by Dr. Peter Sammons of the Master's Seminary, helping us to defend the accusation, how can God be good if evil exists? Let's go to the Bible to learn directly from it what it says about the way God operates the world. Let's let the Bible show us how he does everything without doing the sin. He is, in an ultimate sense, causing the sin without an approximate or efficient sense causing the evil. Therefore, he is not responsible for the evil. Let's let the Bible show us how this works. There's four causalities that we see revealed in the Bible. Removing restraints, giving people over. So Romans 1, you know that God gave them over to lust. Wait a second, what? That's right, God restrains people. We see that in Genesis 26. God said in a dream, yep, I know that you've done this, and I kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. God didn't, God didn't let the person sin? That's right. He restrains us a lot. Does he have to? Does he sin if he doesn't? No. We sin when we sin. God does not have to provide the restraints. So God can remove restraints, giving people over. Can consider Pharaoh and his hard heart. We see that, that, that he was ma- making this decision to, to not do what he was told to do because God gave him over. God, 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 God hardened his heart. And yet we also see, isn't it interesting that Pharaoh hardened his own heart? There is withholding of grace. Deuteronomy 29, 4. Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. I'm not giving you that grace. Is it wrong for God to do that? Absolutely. It can't be. Joshua 11, 20. For it was the Lord... For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts to meet Israel in battle in order that he might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Whoa. We got to figure these things out. They're there in our Bible. God sometimes says, done. Not going to restrain you. I'm not going to offer you any grace. I'm not going to give you these good things. God doesn't have to give anything to anyone. But he does choose to give to all of us by sustaining us and to some of us salvation. And it's not wrong of him to withhold grace from people who simply don't deserve it. 
Now, there, here's the second causality, the causality of hardening. God hardens the hearts of people. Now, this is where we get into Pharaoh, of course. He's our best demonstration of this. But you've also got Deuteronomy 2.30. Sihon, king of Heshbon, was not willing for us to pass through his land. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate. So God will harden a heart. That is not a sinful activity. It can't be because God can't do that. Right, Jimmy? God can't do that. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't persuaded you quite yet. God doesn't have to have us let us have a soft heart, open to correction, rebuke, instruction. If he takes that blessing away, he's not sinning in doing so. There's also the self-hardening, where Pharaoh hardened his own heart. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So you've got people whose hearts are hardened doing terrible things. It's because they harden their own heart. God isn't responsible. Are we seeing how he causes it without causing it? There are different categories. Now, here's another causality. The causality of personal agency, that there are evil people. When God uses the wicked to perform temporal evil, which results in their eternal ruin, or when he uses that evil to bring about a good, that we grow, that we rely on him more, that, that, that we, we trust him as the world falls in on us. Genesis 50, 20, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph understood causality. John 6, Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So God knew he was going to make Judas Iscariot. He knew that Judas Iscariot would betray the Son of God with a kiss. And yet he's not responsible for Judas's sin any more than you're responsible for the sins of your children. We see that in Acts chapter 4. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. The most evil action ever perpetrated in the history of everything was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And what do we see in Isaiah 53? God was pleased to crush his son. Was God brutalizing his son? No. Humans did it. And he used them for his predetermined and predestined plan. You've got the causality of evil spirits. Judges 9. Then God sent an evil spirit. God, God released one. They're on a leash, lets them off. God, God isn't sinning by doing that. The, the demon is, but God most certainly isn't. 1 Samuel 16, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. This is God using evil spirits to accomplish his will. You can read about that in Job 1, 7 through 12, of course. We know that story. John 13, after the morsel, Satan then entered into him. And Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. The fourth category of causality, 
that God uses are the general means. I read this description before when scripture states a general means or it can simply be defined as any time God speaks about the execution of the decree of reprobation upon the non-elect without stating a direct agent involved. So here's the Bible showing us what where we come up with this category of causality. This is Matthew. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Why? Doesn't say. We leave it at that. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, this is Hebrews 12, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Why Why did Esau do that? Doesn't say. And so we leave it in the causality of non-personal agency. You've got something, a non, it, it's something that caused him to do, we don't, we don't know what. Now, we do have a descriptor of a causality of general means in the subject of the truth. When scripture speaks of the truth being as a dual means for some salvation, for the reprobate, it elicits an obstinate or rebellious response toward God. So the truth does stuff. And God is not responsible for our evil response to his good truth. Isaiah 6, 9. Go and tell his people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Luke 8. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Truth affects that. God is truth. But God is not in the secondary or tertiary causation of a hardened heart. He, he, he's not the one who is doing that. And yet he causes it as the ultimate cause. Second Corinthians 2. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing to the one an aroma from death to death to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? God uses truth. To cause, without being culpable, a hardening of a heart, turning away from the gospel. This this might help you if you have a child who has done so. God, God isn't responsible for your child's disbelief. Your, your child is responsible. And perhaps more, more poignantly, if you're listening to this, you're responsible for your sin, your evil. You can't say the Lord made me do it. You can't say that God is to blame for your sinful behavior. You are. And even though God does not have dirty hands, he washes our dirty bodies and cleanses us through the work of his glorious son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we who are the perpetrators of evil could be propitiated, could be made right with God. And God has graciously made this offer to you. And if you've never responded to this offer in repentance and faith, I don't know if you're hardening your own heart. I don't know if there's a general cause. I don't know if there's a demon involved. But this day he offers you life. Take it. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be spared from reprobation. And until tomorrow... Go serve your king.